More than once, I've had the same conversation with people that I've met for the first time. Inevitably, we get to the point of the exchange where they ask me what I do, and I tell them that I am an Episcopal priest. And after they get over their initial surprise and dismay, (laughs) they usually catch themselves, and they ask me where my church is. And I tell them, it's in Santa Monica. It's on 4th Street between Wilshire and Arizona. And they kind of stare into space (laughs) as if they're trying to picture the location. So then I quickly say that it's across the street from parking garage number one, and then, boom, (laughs) recognition clicks into place. Except then they get confused again, and they say, oh, there's a church there? (laughs) I can't say that this conversation surprises me anymore, It certainly did surprise me the first time. I mean, there is a giant steeple with a cross on top of it. There is a big courtyard outside and beside the church. And of course, there is a giant mural of Jesus on the front. How could they not know that there was a church? So the irony, of course, is that St. A's was meant to be seen, right? Often churches are, but St. A's certainly was meant to be seen. It's got that tall bell tower. It's got that impressive structure. It's got the beauty of this architecture. This was a building, is a building meant to grab your attention. And in grabbing your attention, it is meant to draw your heart and your mind to contemplate the divine. Or at least... God was meant to cross your mind when you saw this structure. And indeed, that is the intention of this space. It is meant to be an outward and visible sign that points to God, to God's reign and saving acts, to God's justice and God's mercy, and ultimately to God's love. And more to the point... That is the intention behind the church as well, not the building so much, but that fellowship and community of people who have been bound together as members of the body of Christ. Those who are called to be disciples of Jesus the Christ are meant to witness and to proclaim God's love for the world and for each and every human being in it. We are meant to be seen. We are meant to be visible so that we might point to the God who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of humanity and the world through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or maybe it'd be simple, more simple, to say, as Jesus says to his disciples this morning, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. For a little context, it's worth recognizing that Jesus is 
is preaching to his newly gathered disciples at the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has just shared the Beatitudes with them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and those who mourn, and those who are meek, and those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, or who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus turns the notion of blessing on its head in those Beatitudes by offering a very different set of values. And then, and only then, does he tell his disciples that they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt and light. Elements that are both basic and absolutely essential. The vast majority of life as we know it is absolutely dependent on salt and light to thrive and to survive. Jesus tells those disciples and tells us that we are basic and necessary. Our actions are meant to be seen by others so that in seeing those actions, those good works, he says, they might give glory to God. We are meant to be seen. We are meant to be visible. We are meant to be shining light and adding spice. But I think in our time, but also, frankly, in every time, the issue becomes seen for what reason or seen in what way. How is the church meant to live into its vocation as a visible community? That's the question our time puts to us. And let's recognize that for far too often in the past and here in the present, in the life of the church, we have adopted what I would call a triumphal stance. The church has been seen and has acted as a community that lorded its righteousness over others, acting as if it had special privileges and special rights. We have lent our support to, to despots and dictators throughout the centuries. We have propped up structures and systems that dehumanize and corrupt. As opposed to adopting the stance of servant, the church has too often usurped the, at the place of Lord. Too often, the church has united itself to the powerful for power's sake, in the hopes of being relevant or important, or frankly, seen. And as such, the church has far too often been seen for all the wrong reasons. But again and again, Scripture continually warns the church, warns the people of God against this sort of temptation. For his part, Paul saw this desire for power and wisdom over and against others at play in the Corinthian church. And so he wrote to them about it. 
He wrote to them so that they might, so that he might call the, that young church back, church back to its identity as salt and light. He writes to the Corinthians in this morning's lesson, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For Paul, to know Christ crucified is to know about God's power and God's wisdom revealed in the paradox of weakness and foolishness. To know Christ crucified is to know God's power and wisdom revealed in the self-giving love of the Messiah. To know Christ crucified means looking at the world and looking at one's fellow human beings through the lens of this self-giving love. To know Christ crucified means looking at the world through that lens. A community that knows nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified is therefore a cruciform community that operates out of a place of liberating and life-giving love. It has no power to lord over others. Instead, it stands in solidarity with those who are most vulnerable and most exposed. A cruciform community stands with victims. A cruciform community stands with those who are powerless. Indeed, a cruciform community knows with Isaiah that the fast that God longs for is to loose the bonds of injustice and undo the thongs of the yoke. The fast that God longs for is to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. A church that acts as salt and light will look to feed the hungry and house the homeless and cover the naked. It will respect and uphold the dignity of every human being. It will seek and serve Christ in all people and look to love its neighbors as it loves itself especially those neighbors who are in need. The church, and therefore each and every disciple, needs to live out of this reality. We are called in solidarity, to be in solidarity with the whole of humanity, but especially with those who are in need so that we might not hold some sort of lording over others, so that we may not try to have dominion over others. And so it presents to us this question, how are we to be the church in this age, in this time, in a time and place of sophisticated propaganda and micro-targeted ads? What does it look like for us to be the church? What does it look like for us to act as salt and light? In a world of rampant corruption and racist travel bans and environmental degradation, how does the church shine the light of God in the midst of darkness? 
if the church is the body of Christ? What does it mean for it to take the form of the crucified Christ in a world dominated by power for power's sake? I'm afraid to say I'm not sure. I don't know. But I know this. I know that we begin in solidarity with those in need, bearing witness to God's love and God's justice, not as triumphant power mongers, but as servants and sojourners. We are called to be visible. We are called to be seen. We are called to be salt and light, bearing witness to God's love for all. Amen.